Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC podcast. We're excited that you've decided to stop by. We are in a new series called Same God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, Peter continues our series by looking at slow to anger. Both the God of the Old and New Testament is slow to anger. This message was recorded on March 9th, 2023 at the Columbine Suites at the UC. Please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the UNC campus. All are welcome. Come as you are, leave as a new creation. Michael, what did the sushi say to the bee? I don't know. What did it say? What did it say? I'm sorry. What's up, bee? What's up there? We got prayer meetings. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, so it's from 11 to 12 at the uh, campus commons. It's led by uh, Jake Peck. I I might be there. Yesterday was, I I went the other day and that was awesome. That was so cool to see what is going on behind and you know, you guys have a group of people praying for you, whether you want it, you know, it's, they're just there for you. (laughs) They're, They're praying for you, yeah. So, that, that's super cool. Please come. That was awesome. So, all right. Yeah. Arkansas Kyle was coming to visit us on March. <laughs> the Arkansas Kyle was coming to visit us. <laughs> From March 19th to the 24th, so it's the week after our spring break missions. So. You all better be there. All right. And the next thing we have up is uh, offerings tonight. Yeah! All right. If you guys feel like this is a place that you get poured into, um, you know, help. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. They take credit cards. They take Venmo. You know, cash. You know, your bank account number, social security card, all those kind of good things. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, boy. All right. So we're going to pray over the offering. Uh, dear God. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Hello, God. Thank you for this, this time that you've given us to come together as a, as a church family. Uh, thank you for just all the opportunities and the wonderful people that you bring um, to this group and, and uh, you know, what life it gives to some people and, and what life that you bring to them. Um, you know, if, if you put on uh, anybody's heart tonight that they, they feel like they need to give because this is a place that they get poured into, um, put that burden on their heart and, and let them let them act on it. Let them act on it. So in, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So can we have all the people who are going to be on missions, Denver, New York, and Arizona, come up to the front? The one and only, Duncan Chance, we'll be praying for you guys tonight. Yeah. Hey, let's let's gather. Everybody who's on a spring break trip, come on up. Hey, go right in front here. Right in front. Right in front. Right in front over here. Yeah. Okay. The moment has arrived. You guys have raised your budgets. You have raised a team of prayer support and financial support. You have your Facebook groups built and you're updating your supporters. And you guys are about to head out for the most epic week of your lives. And we are going to pray because we believe in the power of prayer. But I will say this, that we believe in changed lives. 
And we are going to hear stories next week or the week after, after spring break, about how the Lord moved through us. I'm going on Denver, by the way. I'm up here too. But, uh, but how the Lord used us and how the Lord moved through us. And we're about to become a part of people's stories forever. Amen. So let's pray and let's be commissioned. So if you're out here, let's lift our hands to these groups of people about to go out and let's commission them as their brothers and sisters. Amen. Father, we are grateful, Lord. We are so grateful, God, that you have called us for this moment. Jesus, we are thankful for all of our supporters that are behind us this week, that have supported us to get us here, Jesus. I pray blessings over them right now, wherever they are. God, and all of those that are lifting us up in prayer, Lord, we are literally standing on their shoulders as they stand on your mighty shoulders, Jesus. And so, God, we think of them right now. God, and and we are praying, God, for the people we are about to meet even starting tomorrow, even starting tomorrow as the New York team flies out tomorrow. God, we are praying for the hearts of those we're going to meet. Jesus, you have already begun to till up the soil. God, you are already speaking to them. So I pray, God, the words that we use this week, God, would not be our own. Holy Spirit, speak through us, God. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be blessings to the missionaries that we are serving, O oh God. Jesus, I pray that you would protect us as we travel, protect us from getting sick, God. Lord, would you encourage us, God. We protect, uh, Lord, Lord, would you protect us from the enemy that would want nothing more than for us to fail. So, God, we pray, Lord, protection over us from the enemy, God, from the lies, from the deceit, from the enemy, God, from the strongholds that you have on people's lives right now, God, in New York and in Denver and in Arizona, God. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be a part of your plan. We recognize, God, you don't need us, but you chose us, God. And we are co-laborers in your kingdom, God. So be with us, God. Calm our nerves, Jesus. Let everything go smoothly. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, before y'all leave tonight, make sure you uh, bless one of these guys. Just give them a hug, a high five as they're heading out because we're behind them, right? We're behind them as a family. All right. Hey, Lydia, get pumped. Let's go. Come on. What are we doing now? Oh, yeah. Where's he at? Where is he? Oh, he's right there. It's fine. I'm not hurt. Peter Cluth, Peter Cluth, can you please come up? I'm, I'm tired. I think that sounded like I was being called to the principal's office. Peter Cluth, would you please come up? Thank you, Lydia. Thank you. I think um, I think this light may have gotten moved. I think someone tripped on it. We need uh, we need Peck's long arms. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, right in my eyes. There, that's how I want it. Thank you. Yeah. That's right. Especially over there, man. There's too many beautiful men over there. All right. <laughs> Maddie, oh my gosh. Wow. All right, all right. How's everyone doing tonight? You guys good? Yeah, well, if you don't know me, my name is Peter. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on staff here at Chi Alpha. And um, yeah, so uh, it's good to be here with you guys tonight. Um, tonight, we are going to be continuing our sermon uh, series on Exodus 34. This is like one of my favorite passages in scripture, like... God declares who he is. Like, if you don't know who God is, read this passage, and then you know, you know who God is. Pretty cool. He declares who he is, and um, uh, tonight we're going to be tap- tackling maybe one of the more difficult parts of this passage, um, and that is that God is slow to anger. The God of the Old Testament is often thought of as wrathful and angry and um, spiteful, like just, you know, I, 
I'm sure some of you have heard like these verses quoted, like you know. And um, so we're going to take a look at some of these tonight. We're going to we're going to see what what uh, the Bible has to say about about God. So um, we're going to read first. We're going to start out by reading a couple verses that you might hear some people quote, uh, saying that God is angry, wrathful, and uh, we'll see what what the Bible actually has to say. So. This first one is Numbers 11. We've got three of them up there for you. Numbers 11.1. 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger burned hot. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Wow. All right. Next one, Deuteronomy 6. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Wow, that's pretty intense, right? All right, one more. Therefore, the Lord's anger, this is another verse out of Isaiah, so these are not like connected necessarily. Uh, Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised, and he strikes them down. The mountains shake, and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. Man, that, that sounds bad, right? That, that last image is like just kind of crazy, like dead bodies piling up in the streets because of God's anger. That's hard to read. Like as a Christian, you read that, you're like, man, Lord, what's going on here? And I, I know that uh, early in my readings of the Bible, I would read sections of the Old Testament, and often I would just sit down and read like a small part. And um, I would read like, I don't know, a section about God getting angry and destroying the people. And um, I would I'd be like, geez, God, that, that seems like an overreaction for what they did. This theme of God's anger is something that trips up a lot of Christians, and it's something that trips up a lot of non-believers. Um, and it, uh, we, I think we don't want to believe in a God that flies off the handle and just kills people for no apparent reason. He has, like, these crazy outbursts. He seems like this bloodthirsty, self-righteous God who doesn't care how many people he kills as long as he gets his way. If you just sit down and read a small section of scripture like this, you may get this picture of God, a God who is angry, who's constantly upset at his people. And it may even sound hollow to you when you read this verse that that we're going to be going over tonight that says God is compassionate and gracious, uh, that that he's slow to anger. You're like, well, what about these? What about these verses? That that doesn't seem slow to anger. It seems like you're, you're just angry all the time. And maybe you have felt this way about God. Maybe you've had a hard time understanding why he's apparently so angry in the Old Testament, and he seems like this loving and graceful God in the New Testament. So this week we're going to be tackling this difficult topic, the topic of God's anger and his self-identification about himself that he is actually slow to anger. So let's dive in. Let's read this Exodus 34 passage again and and dive into the topic. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children, grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children, in the third and fourth generations. So last week we learned from Samantha's awesome sermon that God feels emotion. Like, did you guys know that before last week? God feels deep emotion for us. I think sometimes we get this picture of God that he's like this far-off, distant God who just kind of like started the world and then has left it ever since. And then every now and then he gets angry and shakes his fist and kills some people. <laughs> if you missed that sermon last week, you got to go listen to it because it's, it's crucial for understanding the God of the Bible. Without understanding the compassion and grace of God, we cannot 
rightly understand when God gets angry. I think most of us are happy to hear about God's love and compassion and his mercy. We like those attributes, right? That, that's like, man, I'm like happy to hear that God is like gracious to me, right? That he forgives my sin. But I think uh, when, we, when we hear about the attributes of God that he, he sometimes gets angry, we kind of shrink back from that. It's, I, I feel like it's not often preached in churches, that, that God does sometimes get angry. In some churches, it's preached a lot <laughs> that all God is angry, right? But in a lot of other churches, it's like, no, God is only gracious. God is only forgiving. And in order to fully understand the complexity of our God, we have to hold in tension these two things. Without the anger of God, you cannot have the compassion of God. I think when we think about anger in our modern Western context, most of the time we think anger is a bad thing, right? Our view of anger is that it's bad or that it's like some sort of um, uh, like face emotion, and that's all it is. There's like something beneath it that we need to get to. And that may, be, that may have some truth, may have some truth to that, but um, yeah. When we think of someone who is angry, we often think of, like, an abusive father who is, who, who is, like, mad at his kids for the littlest thing. They spill the milk, and he just flies off the handle, right? Or, or, or an abusive significant other, someone who is, is uh, not kind to their significant other, or a boss who, or a teacher who's, like, yelling at us for something that we did wrong. And if we associate these images with God's anger, or we are of the mindset that anger is always wrong, that when, when we see God express anger in the Bible, we will think that he is wrong for that. And I want to show you tonight why that's wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> that way of thinking is wrong. Right? We cannot associate our images of anger with God's anger. They're different. Uh, we also have to remember that we often, uh, always really, read the Bible through our own cultural lens. Nobody reads the Bible objectively. Nobody reads anything objectively. We see the world through the lens that we have been given by our society, whether we like it or not. You cannot remove it. It's actually impossible. <laughs> you can try to like step back and be like, okay, I know our culture is this way, so this is why I see it that way. But it's, it's nearly impossible to take those goggles off. And we must remember that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. So I want to ask you, before we dive in deep, is there ever a time when anger is just justified? What if someone intentionally hurt one of your family members? Is anger justified? Yep. What if someone, uh, you know, you hear about someone do awful things to a child? Is anger justified? And what is the appropriate response in those situations? Tonight, I want you to leave with a deeper understanding of God's character and why he gets angry when he does and, and see his anger for what it truly is, and that's actually love. So... The point, the whole point of tonight, God is, and I've got a slide for this, I think, slow to anger, but when he does get angry, it is always good and just. It is a measured response to human wickedness, and it is born out of love. Kind of a run-on sentence, but I didn't know where to stop. <laughs> so first, God is slow to anger. God is slow to become angry. The King James Version uh, uh, translates this, I think, one of my favorite ways, and that is, God is long-suffering. It's not that one. It's not that one. God is long-suffering. <laughs> I love this verbiage because it, 
it shows what patience truly is, right? You can say patience. What does that actually mean? It means long-suffering. You suffer for a long time before you get angry. You suffer for a long time before you get angry. But I think the Hebrew term that uh, is original to the text is even more interesting. And that's this next Hebrew term. Eric Epayim. Eric Epayim. It literally means, Eric, Eric means long. Means long nostrils. Yeah, deep. That's deep, right? Kind of weird, right? God has long nostrils. I tried, I tried really hard to find a good image of this. Like, I tried typing into AI art things like God with long nostrils, and it just came up with really weird stuff, man. It, none of it was good, unfortunately. AI art has a long way to go before it's really good. It literally means God is long of nostrils. Why, why, would, why would they, why, how does that, what does that have to do with being slow to anger? Well, this is a super common idiom in Hebrew, uh, or there is, sorry, there is a super common idiom in Hebrew that means to become angry, and that is uh, yakir ap. Do I have one for this? I can't remember. Probably not. Yakir ap. And that means his nose, literally, his nose became hot. His nose became hot. Uh, You can think of uh, our English phrase like, his face was red with anger, right? His face became hot, right? You, there's the, uh, um, yeah, old cartoons a lot of the time when someone gets angry, their, their face turns red and they have like, you know, stuff spewing out of their ears. I actually had a gif, but it um, didn't work. So here you go. <laughs> or sometimes you know, there's that emoji, right, with the, with, the, with the steam coming out of the person's nose that's like they're angry, right? Well, um, sorry, just a second, I lost my place. <laughs> yeah, he was red in the face, kind of like that English term. Um, throughout the Bible, there's a couple passages, you can throw them up there, uh, but I'm not going to read them because, you know, his nose was hot. That's literally what it means, right? Or his nose burned. That's what anger means. A lot of the times, when you read the word anger in the, bo- in the Bible, it's actually that the person's nose is hot. It's an idiom, you know. But God is slow to anger. His nose is long. His nostrils are long, right? It takes a long time for that steam to come out. Do you guys understand it? the idiom? Yeah, cool. All right, we'll move on. God is incredibly patient. And the most obvious example, the most obvious example of God's incredible patience is that we are all here tonight. That is the most obvious example. I could stop there. That would be enough, right? We are all here tonight because God has been patient with us and he has chosen in love to not destroy us (laughs) because when you think about it, right, sometimes we get angry that, like, God doesn't just, like, wipe out all the evil in the world, right? Why doesn't God end the injustice? Why doesn't he just end it? It's because if he were to end all injustice, none of us would be here. We all have that evil inside of us. We all want God to deal with the evil in our world, but we don't realize that if, if God were to deal with evil once and for all, he would have to destroy every single one of us. There's not one person who is wholly righteous before God. Certainly not me, not your pastor, not the Pope. Sorry, Catholics. <laughs> not your parents or your friends. All deserve judgment. The Bible says that God is storing up wrath for a great day of judgment. And and that is God being patient. Instead of just wiping us out on the spot for our sin, he chooses to give us time to repent. He gives us warning after warning. If you don't repent, you will die. But I'm going to wait and I'm going to give you the opportunity to change your mind about 
God, to change your mind about the sin in your life and to turn away from it. It is only by the blood of Jesus washing our sins away that we escape this divine judgment. Right? It is because of what Samantha talked about last week and what Jake Holliday is going to talk about next week. Hopefully I'm not impinging too much on your sermon, Jake. But um, (laughs) it is God's love, compassion, and mercy that leads him to be slow to anger and to be patient with us. God is all of these things. He loves us, and he desires that all would come to repentance. God lets us live our lives because he is waiting for us to turn to him. He gives us every opportunity to turn from sin and cling to Jesus. So, God is slow to anger, but he's also slow to anger. He does get angry. He's not infinitely patient. That's kind of weird to think about, right? God is not infinitely patient. He's not going to wait forever. He does get angry. Many people might think that this, God being slow to anger, is a false description of God. That They might point to those verses we read earlier or the flood where God wiped out almost every human on earth. Or they might point to excerpts in the Old Testament where God threatens to destroy Israel. Or in the prophets, where God says he will destroy Jerusalem and exile the people of God. This seems like an angry and wrathful God. Here's the problem, though. Um, When you read one verse or a couple verses, you are almost certainly taking it out of context. Even good things. Like, we do that a lot. (laughs) Christians do that a lot. Here's a trustworthy saying. Never read or quote a verse. Just a verse. Positive or negative. I'm honestly not a huge fan of when people are like, hey, man, what's your favorite, what's your life verse? What's your favorite verse? Right? If you, if you read just a verse, you're almost certainly taking it out of context. But in reality, in reality, these passages that are hard for us to understand the passages that make God look like this angry, wrathful God are just taken out of context. When you read the entirety of the Bible, it becomes a, like so apparent that God is the most patient being to ever exist. These aren't isolated incidents where God just like flies off the handle for no reason and kills people in his anger. In all of these situations, God has been patient. God has been warning his people. He's been saying, hey, this is going to come if you don't repent. If you don't change, this is going to happen. And then when he finally does become angry, it is a measured response to the situation. For example, let's let's take the flood. All right. God held off on destroying uh, humanity for like a super long time. You read about the accounts in Genesis it, it takes him a long time to finally become, uh, or to finally destroy the people. So we're going to read that real quick uh, in Genesis 6, starting in verse 5. It says, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe away mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Notice, everybody's hearts are super wicked. Their every inclination is evil. So God destroys everything and starts over. Now, whether this was a worldwide flood or local flood, I'm not going to debate that tonight. Uh, But if you want to have that conversation afterwards, come see me. Um, The point is that everyone was doing evil constantly, and God could not sit idly by and just watch the world continue to be destroyed by mankind. And did you realize, did did you notice, God actually doesn't get angry. It never once says that God was, was upset 
other than he was grieved. He was incredibly saddened by the state of the people that he had made. And so he starts over. He's heartbroken at the state of humanity. Now let's look at a couple examples of when God actually does get angry, because God does get angry. And actually, before, you, before we do that, before we dive in, um, does anybody know the first time in the Bible when, uh, when it says that God got angry? You can just shout it out. Any guesses? Oh, swallowed up like the, the Koathites or whatever? It's actually at Moses in the burning bush. Mark got it. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> come on, come on. That's a good thing. So you, you go all the way through the book of Genesis. God doesn't get angry even once, right? And this is telling for a number of reasons, but let's, first let's read it. So Exodus 4, starting in verse 13. Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. This is the first time that God is ever angry in the Bible. God gets angry with Moses because this is actually like the fifth or sixth time Moses comes up with like another excuse for not doing what God has asked him to do, right? Can you imagine you have an experience where you're talking to a literal burning bush. <laughs> the bush is talking to you. And you say no? <laughs> right? I think may maybe more of us would do that than we realize. This was the fifth time that Moses had made an excuse, and finally God is like, Moses, just do it. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. He gives in. He says, you know what, your brother Aaron, why don't, why, don't you, why don't you go and have him speak, and you'll, you tell him what to say. Right? God doesn't kill Moses <laughs> in his anger. He doesn't strike him down. He actually gives in. He gets angry, but he gives in. This is really interesting to me. The next example of God's anger comes right after God had, uh, there's actually a couple other examples of God's anger, but the next one we're going to focus on. Is, uh, is right after God had saved Israel from Egypt, right? He parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. He, he gives them the law. He's like, hey, these are, if we're going to be friends, if we're going to be in relationship here, these are the things that you're going to have to do, right? You can't kill anyone else, right? I only want you to worship me, God, right? I'm not saying I'm God, but you get the example. Right? He gives them the covenant. They, act, they agree to it. They all, all of Israel says, we agree. And then this happens. Let's turn to Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Let's make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought, us, who, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. The people got up early, uh, and, and notice that word, the Lord, by the way, that's Yahweh's name. That's Yahweh's name. Okay, let's continue. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice bur burnt offerings and peace offerings. 
After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord celeb- or, or, wait, uh, the Lord told Moses, <laughs> quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I've commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord as God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So again, God rescues Israel from Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea on dry ground, right? Does miracle after miracle is a literal pillar of fire that guides them. He enters into an agreement with them, and they accept this agreement. Don't worship other gods. That's like the first one. (laughs) But as soon as Moses is gone for a little bit uh, for further instruction from God, they forget all of that. They turn around, and they request an idol to be made. This might seem kind of weird to our modern ears, like, you know, if I was in the middle of the wilderness with these people— the f- the first thing I do is say, hey, uh, does anyone have a GPS? <laughs> where, where are we supposed to go next? Right? But this people had just come out of 400 years in Egypt. Right? God had taken them out of Egypt, but he hadn't taken the Egypt out of them. They had been steeped in this culture. They had been steeped in this culture that worships other gods, and they had begun to worship those gods. He was in the process of setting them straight, but they had inherited a lot of evil ways of living, including worshiping idols. They thought that if they worshiped idols, good things would happen to them. That was their worldview. God was trying to change that and said, hey, don't worship idols. That's, That's bad. Don't do that. But when this Moses guy disappeared for a couple days... They went back to what they knew. They knew if they made an idol and bowed down to it, they thought, at least, that good things would happen to them. They'd receive direction, right? It even says that. Where do we go? (laughs) But God had just told them not to construct or worship idols. Um, And like I said, uh, when I was reading it, the idol that they had constructed, they actually called Yahweh. They called the golden calf Yahweh. So side note, just because you do something for God doesn't mean it's the good or right thing to do. Right? If you practice witchcraft for God, that doesn't make it right. All right. And so God gets angry, threatens to destroy Israel and start over with Moses. This still sounds extreme, right? Like, They mess up one time, and God's like, you're done. You're done. But, God, if you read through that section of of Exodus, it's like at the end of every single passage, at the end of every single passage, God's like, hey, he's talking about, like, you know, laws that don't relate to God necessarily, like, you know, don't sleep with your your mom, your dad's wife or whatever. And then he says, oh, yeah, and don't worship other gods. 
He repeats it over and over and over through Exodus and, and even onward. Do not worship other gods and do not make idols. And Israel does just that. Of course this is going to make God angry. Right? Let me, let me use an imperfect human illustration for a second, okay? I have uh, three children whom I love very, very much. Um, before I had kids, I heard people say, like, I have children and I love them, and I, it, it, it doesn't connect, and I get that. Maybe you don't, you know, know what it's like to have kids or to love kids, but it's, it's like <laughs> legit, like, I just can't even describe how much I love my children. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> they're kids, right? Um, there have been many times that a situation like this has happened. Imagine with me for a second. Just try and put yourself in my shoes for a second. Imagine you're a parent, and you give your four-year-old, let's say, a, uh, some crayons and some paper. You say, hey, use the crayons on the paper. And just the paper. Please don't color anywhere else. Just the paper. Right? Not the table, not the walls, just the paper. And, oh, definitely. Yep, yeah, you go into the kitchen for like five or ten minutes. Right? Not that long. And you walk back out, and they're coloring on the walls. They're like, hi, Dad. Look at this beautiful drawing. And you're like, what are you doing? Stop. stop. Crayon, if you didn't know, is incredibly difficult to get off of walls. It is. It gets all in, in like all the nooks and crannies. I've, yeah, we had to use a magic eraser, but I, I didn't know that. I'm like using water and a rag and soap, and it's just not coming off. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, yes, magic eraser works for that, just in case you didn't know that. Tuck that one away for when you have kids. Our natural response is to become angry that they just disobeyed the very thing that you had just told them not to do. Right? Like 10 minutes beforehand. I think this is acceptable. It is acceptable to become angry in that situation as a parent. But also notice that this wasn't just like some arbitrary rule. Right? I'm not saying don't color on the walls because I hate them and because I want to steal their joy. Right? The rule is there for a reason. I don't want crayon on my wall. Your decorations are beautiful, and I will hang them up on my fridge so that I can later take them down <laughs> and hang up your next drawing on my fridge. Right? The rule is there for a reason. Now, what you do with that anger is a totally different story. Right? Though it is acceptable to be angry, it is unacceptable to use that anger to abuse someone or physically or emotionally, right? Verbally. And this is where the analogy breaks down. Because if I threatened to kill my children for coloring on my walls, I would be a bad parent. I would be a bad parent, right? But God is different than we are. And the crime that Israel committed was much larger than I think we realize. God's response is appropriate. He is angry that they have just disobeyed him. But not only that they disobeyed him in worshiping the golden calf, you also read they celebrated with feasting and drinking. They indulged in pagan rev revelry. Pagan revelry, if you didn't know, is code for a drunken orgy. Yeah, 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 yep, 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 yep. And this is... One of the many reasons why idolatry is so evil. It always leads to worse and worse sins. Not only is God the creator and the only one who's actually deserving of our worship, for that fact alone, because he created us, he's deserving of our worship. But when we give our worship to things that are lesser, it always leads to further evil. An example of this is much later in the biblical story. Biblical story is like Israel messing up again and again and just becoming more and more debaucherous. There's this example of, um, you, you see it a couple times in, in the book of Kings, uh, I think 2 Kings, um, <clears throat> where Israel begins to worship this god, this Canaanite deity, Molech. 
And uh, Molech was a, a deity that required child sacrifice. Yeah. A ch- uh, he, he required child sacrifice. And, and so they would offer their children, even a king, a king of Israel, offered his child in, f- in the, f- the fire sacrifice to this god, Molech. And God is heartbroken over this. His anger burns fiercely against Israel because of this. God was angry first that they worshipped an idol, but that wasn't their only sin. We often feel like God is being petty by requiring humans to worship him. But it's because he made us in his image, and he, he made us in such a way that we are made to worship. We will, given time, just start worshiping whatever it is that is nearest to us, more or less. And even Christians are, are not immune to this. We often give ourselves to things that are less than God even though we were made in the image of God. We were made specifically to be worshipers of God. For us to give our worship to anything other than God is an affront to our image-bearing responsibility. God actually gave us authority over the earth to rule it in his name and to worship anything else forfeits that authority he's given us to that being. It's part of the reason why this world is so jacked up. We have given our God-given authority to beings that do not deserve it. And this always leads to more and more egregious sin. And the Old Testament is a case study in that. So God gets angry because it is an affront to their humanity. And God threatens to destroy Israel. And he is within his right to destroy Israel. But Moses intercedes. This is like so cool. He says, God, please don't destroy them. And he gives him, God, all these like good reasons for not destroying Israel. And God changes his mind. God decides, okay, Moses, I've heard you. This is actually an early picture of what Jesus does for us. Right? Jesus intercedes for us on behalf of us. Intercedes to God on behalf of us. It's really cool. Here's the point. John Mark Comer says, There are times when the healthy, emotionally responsible uh, emotionally mature response to evil is anger. Right? The issue is that 90% of the time when we experience someone who is angry, they don't have the self-control to act in a measured way. Or when we are angry, we don't have the self-control to act in a measured way. And so we have labeled anger in general as this evil thing. And then we paint that on God. Saying God is angry and so he's evil, right? But God is self-controlled. He's slow to anger. And his anger is a outpouring of his love, in fact. Our anger is different from God's anger because it is almost always selfish. If you look back on a time in your life when you were angry, most of the time it's because we had a, you had a hurt ego, your ego was wounded, and so you acted in defense of yourself, right? A hurt ego over something someone has done to us. We then want to take revenge. That's the natural next step. A hurt ego, revenge. You know that, uh, that whole eye for an eye thing in the Bible? That was actually an upgrade. Do you know that? Eye for an eye was an upgrade because before eye for an eye, it was uh, an eye... I'm going to chop your head off, <laughs> right? It was, oh, you, you, uh, you, uh, you know, chopped off one of my arms. I'm going to chop off both of your arms. That's our natural instinct. If someone wrongs us, we want in our anger, in our wrath, to do twice as much damage to them that they did to us. <laughs> it's like that movie uh, Taken. Any of you guys seen that? Yeah. I will find you, and I will kill you. I was, I was thinking about showing a clip of that, but it was just a little too long. <laughs> I have a very particular set of skills. Right? If you haven't seen it, someone kidnaps Liam Neeson's daughter, and he kills like 30 people in response. Right? At least. At least. Or, or how about this next one? This next one. 
right? We, we love it. Yeah, yeah. Someone kills his dog, and he kills like 100 people in response, right? And we love it. We're like, yeah, get him back. They killed your dog. <laughs> yeah, put Jake's head on there. You killed Maggie. <laughs> That was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Eye for an eye is actually reasonable. Right? It is a reasonable response to a wrong done. It was a measured response to an offense. But it's also not the ideal of the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, says, You have heard the law say that punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Offer the other also. All right. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount here, God, uh, Jesus, God, is, is giving us the way of the kingdom. Right? This upside-down kingdom. He says, if somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other one. Right? Jesus is calling us to a new way of living where we don't take revenge, God does. Paul in Romans says, uh, in Romans 12, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so, for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That is the standard for us. Okay, let's get back to God's anger for a minute. <laughs> we see throughout the Old Testament that God often uses ordinary ways to bring about his justice, his wrath. In Jonah, God sends this reluctant prophet to the Ninevites, declaring that God is going to destroy their city in 40 days, I think, right? They immediately repent, <laughs> and God changes his mind. An interesting tidbit, God never says, change your mind. He just says, I'm going to destroy you. But upon their repentance, he forgives them. Years later, years later, God has Nineveh enact judgment against Israel. Right? Israel had fallen from God's grace, and they had been committing idolatry and sin. They'd become super evil. So God removes his protection and lets Nineveh destroy them. But it doesn't end there. In Nahum, God says he has had enough of the Ninevites. <laughs> right? Because the Ninevites weren't any better. They weren't better than the, kingdoms, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. They were probably worse, to be honest. But God has had enough. Later on down the line, God says he has had enough of the Ninevites' sin and injustice. And he brings a giant meteor to destroy them, a huge flood, fire and brimstone from the sky. No. He brings an army. Babylon rises up and destroys Nineveh. He destroys Assyria where Nineveh is. God uses, often uses, ordinary means to enact his justice. Some, may, some might say that God like stirred up these nations to go and do his bidding. Um, personally, I think God just removes protection. He says, all right, I was, I was keeping them off, but I'm not going to do that anymore. God often uses ordinary means to enact his injustice, or his justice. <laughs> So this was just a couple instances of God's anger. But if you read the whole Bible, you'll notice a pattern. Patterns emerge. And uh, I've, I have gleaned some of these patterns from the Bible Project, which, by the way, is a super solid resource. And like everything, every, anytime I like say I like this certain resource, there are going to be people who are like, well, what about this, you know? Don't, I don't agree with everything they've ever put out. Okay, there we go. But this was really good, and I just had to steal it. I stole it, all right? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So here it is. Here it is. A summary of God's anger in the Bible. 
God's anger is his just and measured response to the covenant betrayal of his own people. It is not a volatile or unpredictable explosion of abusive violence. The most consistent response to God's anger is to give people what they have chosen, even if it leads to self-destruction. This anger is expressed either as exile from God's presence or in hiding God's face and the removal of his protective and order-creating power. God is slow to anger, which means God will put up with people's betrayal, betrayal for much longer than is reasonable. And you find this time and time again in the Bible. You're like, God, why didn't you destroy them sooner? <laughs> like they deserved it. And lastly, God will always accept people who turn to him with soft hearts and genuine humility, no matter what they have done. Praise team, come up. All right. Point number three. Point number three. Jesus is the same God. <laughs> And he, too, becomes angry and, and at times pours out his wrath. But he is slow to anger. Once again, we often think of Jesus as like this peaceful hippie who, like, you know, hangs out and plays guitar. Yeah, like this guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we think of Jesus like this, like this hippie, right? Doesn't ever get mad. He's always chill. Loved, love, man. Certainly, Jesus' message is one of peace. In the midst of a cultural culture that, like, constantly wanted to fight back against Rome, Jesus' message is overwhelmingly one of peace. But that doesn't mean that it's all sunshines and roses for Jesus. In fact, some instances, Jesus sounds like a, a lot like some end-time prophets. In one instance, Jesus sends out many of his disciples to proclaim the gospel to towns in the surrounding areas. He tells them, heal the sick, cast out demons, and he says, if anyone doesn't welcome you, then... Let's start in Matthew 10. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for that land for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Do you guys know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? God literally rained down fire on those towns. It'll be more tolerable for them <laughs> than for this town that rejected Jesus or rejected his people. Or how about this scripture? Then he, Jesus, proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, uh, Corazon. Corazon. Chorazin. There you go. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted in heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus is, is condemning the people who have not accepted him, who have rejected him. Right? This doesn't seem like the, the peaceful Jesus who's like, it's all about love, man. Right? Jesus is the same God. We also see Jesus become angry when he sees people are taking advantage of one another. One instance of this is, uh, is when, when um, people are coming to give sacrifices at the temple, right? For the context, the Torah requires uh, certain sacrifices for Israelites to, per per to perform uh, for various purposes, forgiveness of sins, uh, cleansing of being unclean, and many others. <laughs> Just read Leviticus. Um, some people saw this as a way to make money. So uh, let's say someone brought a lamb for sacrifice. It had to be spotless, right? It couldn't have a broken leg, which makes sense. Don't bring God your worst. Or what's second best? Give God your best, right? They were supposed to bring a spotless lamb, but the priests were in cahoots, with the sellers in the market 
And they would say, hey, this lamb, it's not good enough. It's got like a little freckle right there. It's not good enough. And they would, they'd be like, well, it's not good enough for sacrifice, but you can go over to this guy over there, and he will actually sell you a spotless lamb. And it would be like for a huge markup. It's pretty jacked up. Or people would come from far away, and they wouldn't want to drag like their sheep with them, right? Like they didn't have cars or or ships or, you know, air, airplanes, whatever those are called. They didn't want to drag their whole herd of sheep with them if they were coming from like Rome. That's like months long journey. So they would come alone with money to buy the coin or to buy the, the, uh, the sacrifices. But when they got there, the, uh, the, the Jews would be like, oh, sorry, we don't actually accept Roman imperial coin. Uh, you have to you have to have local coin, and of course there was a money changer right there, right? And so they would have to go and exchange their money for exorbitant increases. And Jesus sees this, and he sees that people are being taken advantage of, and specifically, <laughs> like the sacrifices of God, are being used for evil. God is not okay with this. Jesus is not okay with this. He's outraged. He literally makes a whip and like drives people out of the, the courts and he flips over the money changers tables he, and he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Jesus was rightly angry about people being taken advantage of and God's household being used for like monetary gain. was rightfully angry about this. But also notice, this was near the end of Jesus' ministry. It's not like the first thing he did. He's slow to become angry. These instances of Jesus kind of uh, losing it are are, are few and far between. He's mostly focused on the coming kingdom of God, but he does become angry at injustice. Jesus often has more than enough reason to be angry over one thing or another, but he is always slow to anger. He is this same God that we have been speaking about. So let's wrap this up. What's the application? What's the application? If you have in your heart thought or even out loud said that God is just this angry God, that even maybe, maybe even you have this conception that he is like always angry with you, then I think you need to repent of that. You need to change your mind about who God is. He's patient. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's slow to become angry. Of course he is angry with injustice, but he's always willing to take back those who come to him with repentant hearts. And secondly, maybe you have an anger problem yourself. (laughs) Can I confess something to you guys? I sometimes get angry uh, when I'm driving. (laughs) <laughs> I do, I do. When, uh, you know, these lights in Greeley, don't get me started, all right? Like 16th Street, if you hit one, you're going to hit every single one. And if you're in a hurry, you're going to be late. You just are. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back on it, it always feels silly, like, man, why was I, like, screaming? That was ridiculous. I can't believe that I was screaming at a light. Maybe, maybe you two need to confess an anger problem. I think we all need to become more like Jesus in this way. Become quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So if either of these describe you, I want, I want you to take some time, repent, turn to the Lord, and, uh, and turn back to the Lord on this issue. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are so kind and compassionate towards us, God. Lord, that you are long of nostrils. You are slow to become angry. God, and and thank you that you do become angry, God. That you become angry at the injustice in this world. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you are not some far-off deity who, who doesn't care that people are taken advantage of, who doesn't care when, uh, when people are hurt. Thank you, Lord, that you will come one day to make all of this right. Thank you that you don't leave us in our sin. We love you, Jesus. Amen. For more information, please visit xaunc.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash xaunc. Our Instagram handle is at xaunc, and you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel by searching for Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Amen.